Welcome back to Lost Touch Channel. My name is Anton Vjeltsen. I'm an attorney in the Southern District of California here in San Diego. We focus so much of our time on exceptions to the warrant requirement under the Fourth Amendment that we sometimes forget the basics. The probable cause that's required before a warrant is issued by a magistrate judge. So today we're going to focus just on that. I found a very interesting case that deals with a warrant that's defective because there was not sufficient probable cause to issue it. Before we go on, I want to thank you for watching me on YouTube and subscribing, hitting that bell notification button. If you're listening to the podcast version of this recording on Spotify or Audible, please give it a five-star review rating. And finally, if you want to support this channel, go on lostash.com and look for some of my merch, which includes this t-shirt that says, do not arrest this person, as well as some other things like hats and so on. Thanks for watching. Quick message from Lostash. Are you charged with a crime? Or do you want to know your rights if stopped by police? Watch California attorney Anton Vjeltsin discuss legal cases from the Supreme Court, Ninth Circuit, and California State Courts on the Lostash YouTube page. Anton has handled hundreds of federal and state criminal cases, has an in-depth knowledge of the law, and has the best mustache ever. Subscribe to the Lostash YouTube page. That's L-A-W-S-T-A-C-H-E. Today we're discussing a Sixth Circuit case, United States versus Wade, who, by the way, was never suspected of any crimes. Instead, there was a fire that occurred next to his property. Mr. Wade lived on the second floor of a duplex. The property next to his had a shed. At some point, that shed went on fire. An investigator with a fire department came out and tried to figure out what happened. During that whole process, the investigator noticed that there were cameras attached to the duplex on the second story. So he came up to the first floor and encountered an individual who lived on the first story. That turned out to be Mr. Wade's mother. She said that the cameras belonged to Mr. Wade, her son, who lived in the duplex on the second story, the second apartment. She also said that it is unlikely that Mr. Wade would give permission to the investigator to look at the cameras. Again, Mr. Wade was never suspected of having anything to do with the fire. The investigator simply wanted to look at the footage to see if anyone else was involved. The next day, the investigator followed up. He came to the property, encountered Mr. Wade, asked for permission to look at the cameras, and just like the mother said, Mr. Wade refused and declined permission to give the DVR to the investigator. With that information in hand, the investigator sought a warrant to search the property and retrieve the DVR. Now, he went to the police department to have assistance with executing that warrant. The warrant was issued after all. So the investigator, along with five officers, arrived to the property. At that time, Mr. Wade was not there. They asked the mother to call Mr. Wade for him to return. Mr. Wade came back to the property. They asked him to look at the DVR. He again refused. They showed him the warrant. And at some point, they threatened Mr. Wade that they would come into the property to retrieve DVR if he didn't hand over the keys. When Mr. Wade got nervous, he gave the keys to the officers. He also said that he had small amount of marijuana in the apartment. 
With that information in hand, the police officers then sought two more warrants that dealt with narcotics. With additional information from Mr. Wade that there were narcotics in the apartment, the officers now had three different warrants for narcotics as well as the original one for the DVR. Now, eventually, Mr. Wade was convicted of possession with intent to distribute narcotics. Throughout the whole process, he was asking the district court to suppress the evidence found because it was in violation of the Fourth Amendment. He said that he never had anything to do with the fire. And the only reason the officers ever went into the apartment was because there was this warrant but he says the warrant was defective. At the threshold matter, you would think that Mr. Wade would have some protection under the Fourth Amendment because he was never involved in any criminal activity dealing with the fire. He was just an individual who had cameras next door. Instead, here's something to remember about the Fourth Amendment. When the magistrate judge issues a warrant, here's what needs to happen. In situations where the state is trying to seize things and not persons, there must be probable cause to believe that those things will be located on the place to be searched. There doesn't have to be probable cause that the third party is implicated in the crime. To establish probable cause for a search, an affidavit must show a likelihood of two things. First, that the items sought are seizable by the virtue of being connected with criminal activity. And second, that the items will be found in the place to be searched. A valid warrant may be issued to search any property at which there is probable cause to believe that fruits, instrumentalities, or evidence of a crime will be found. In determining whether the affidavit established probable cause, we have to look at the four corners of the affidavit the information known to the police officers but not conveyed to the magistrate judge is irrelevant in our determination. Now let's take a look at the relevant part of the affidavit. The fire investigator O'Brien wrote, as I began the investigation, it was determined that someone entered the property through one of the two gates in the fence, proceeded back to the rear where the shed was located. According to the victim, a witness explained to her that someone was observed pulling up to the residence, entering the property and removing items from the shed around the time of the fire. The victim estimated the items stored inside the shed to be valued around $8,000. She explained the items stored were antique possessions that belonged to her deceased mother. At the completion of the investigation, the fire has been determined to have been incendiary in nature. The court found that the only information contained in the affidavit that is proffered to support a finding of probable cause is that the statement of unidentified person made to the unidentified property owner and then communicated secondhand to O'Brien regarding an unknown person entering the property and removing items from the shed around the unspecified time of the fire. When presented with such hearsay information from an undisclosed source, a court must consider the veracity, reliability, and the basis of knowledge 
for the information as part of the totality of circumstances for evaluating the impact of that information. In the absence of any indicia of the informant's reliability, courts insist that the affidavit contains substantial independent police corroboration. It follows that there are four additional problems with this affidavit. The probable cause was never corroborated by the police officer. The fact that fire occurred does not establish that a crime occurred. The fact that Mr. Wade had cameras attached to his apartment do not add anything to probable cause determination. And finally, his refusal to voluntarily turn over his cameras does not add to probable cause because after all, invoking constitutional rights does not establish guilt. The fact that he doesn't want to consent to a search does not mean that Mr. Wade was guilty of any crime, especially one connected to the fire. Courts are required to suppress all evidence tainted by the unlawful conduct by the government. That is what's commonly known as the fruits of the poisonous tree doctrine. And given that the warrant, the initial one for the DVR, should have never been issued because it was not supported by probable cause, all fruits that follow from that should have been suppressed from the district court level, which includes the two additional warrants for the narcotics because those would have never been issued if the officers didn't come to execute the first warrant and didn't threaten Mr. Wade with entering the property in violation of the Fourth Amendment. Again, if somebody is threatened, that coercion should not give benefit to the government. Here's how the court concludes this case. Although we do not relish the consequence that the possessor of a large quantity of drugs will escape punishment, our overriding concern is that the police must abide by the Fourth Amendment protections afforded to all of the inhabitants of this great country, guilty and innocent alike. If you learned something today, give my video a thumbs up. Please subscribe to my channel and hit that bell notification button so next time I post, you'll be first to know. If you're listening to the podcast version of this recording, please give it a five-star review rating. And finally, once again, if you'd like to support my channel, go to lostash.com and check out some of my merch. Thanks for watching.